Welcome to Profit First Nation, the official podcast for entrepreneurs who are operating their businesses in the zone of permanent profitability. I'm Mike Michalowicz, the author of Profit First, and now here's your Profit First Nation guide, Daniel Mulvey. Well, welcome to episode 100 of Profit First Nation. I am so excited that we have hit this exciting milestone and it is all thanks to you, my Profit First peeps, my entrepreneurial friends. Thank you so much for tuning in every week. And since it is episode 100, that's an episode ending in zero, we are going to do our famous questions and answers on episodes ending in zero. And we've got quite a few today, so we will dive right in. This comes from Brenda in Puerto Rico. Her question is, implementing profit first starting now. I operate a tour business. There are many advanced bookings that are prepaid and many unearned until the tour actually happens. That money gets deposited into my income account. My question is, where do I put these funds to hold until the money is earned? Can I keep it in my income account? If the reservation is canceled and refunded, then the booking company would withdraw the funds from this account, which is income, and no other. All right. Thank you, Brenda. She uh, is in the diving and snorkeling tour business in Puerto Rico. So that does not sound like a bad gig. So that is a great question, Brenda, regarding deposits and advanced bookings. And, you know, definitely there's a lot of listeners out there that might not be doing snorkeling and scuba tours, but you are receiving advances on the work that you have yet to perform deposits, whether you're a photographer, a consultant, I mean, the list is just extensive. And so, you know, I would recommend checking out episode 65, where we talk about the drip account. So in these kinds of instances, where the money is not technically income yet, you're going to want to have that money in a drip account. And ideally, that money just goes straight to the drip account when it comes into your business. And then as that income is earned out of that drip account, then you pull those associated dollars into your income account. And then from your income account, because now you've earned that money, that's where you do your allocations from. So the recommendation is that you have a drip account and the monies for pre-bookings and things that you haven't earned yet, deposits, that goes into the drip account, and then you just bring it over into the income account when you have earned that money. Drip accounts are also great for seasonal businesses. So we we talk about drip accounts. You know, there's there's multiple uses for drip accounts, and so I'm just going to go a little bit off topic here because you know you're saying, well, wait a minute, I thought a drip account was for seasonal businesses, and so yes, a drip account can work for seasonal businesses as well. So again, if you're kind of in a position where your income varies, uh, maybe your preschool and your summer revenue is down. And so a drip account is great for seasonal businesses as well because um, you can set money aside to help you during those months when, when revenue is down and you can pull from that drip account 
to um, help you meet your operational expenses, etc. All right. So here we go. Question number two. This is from Allison. I've recently implemented Profit First for my new business and I'm trying to get my boyfriend who owns his own contracting and high-end finished carpentry business to implement it as well. Fingers crossed he's listening to the contractor's version of the book right now while he's driving. Knowing he has $20,000 of tax debt from 2019 and 2020, afraid to know the total for 2021 with the emoji of hands covering the eyes, and has to pay about $1,200 a month in child support and swear he's capped at $75 an hour for his carpentry work. I'm trying to figure out how he should set up his accounts and where to allocate the child support money from and to. Should child support be in its own account that has a percentage each allocation day or should it be factored out of his owner's pay as a tertiary allocation sweep so as to ensure he always has those funds prepared for the monthly payment? Any guidance and suggestions would be greatly appreciated. All right, Allison. Well, um, that is a lot. Um, you know, I, I, I do get a lot of emails saying, hey, you know, any suggestions on how I can get my wife on board and or, or spouse or partner or et cetera. And the thing about that is it's just it's just exposing them to it and you know, you don't necessarily have to get them on board because you can just start doing it. And, you know, that's what we find is that, you know, you can just start doing it. It's not costing you any extra to implement profit first. It's just changing the way that you manage the cash in your business. So, you know, you you can just make it go and make it happen. And then, you know, when they see the results, it's like, wow, how, how did this happen? It's like, oh, it's that thing profit first I've been talking about for a year. Um, so anyways, then on to your question about the tax debt and the child support. And, you know, I think it's great um, that you are cognizant of prioritizing that, that child support. So we've talked about this before and most recently on episode 93 with Wendy Barlin. But, you know, you have to have two separate islands. You have your business island and you have your personal island. And so the child support is on the personal side. And so when he takes owner's pay from his business, he takes that owner's pay and he, he deposits that in his personal account on his personal island. And then from there, you know, maybe if it's comforting, you know, you can add additional accounts on your personal side. You can do profit first like you do in business in your personal life as well and just have multiple accounts where you can be allocating to different priorities and needs. And again, we talked about this on episode 93. Um, so he could have that child support account and he could, you know, get $2,400 in it. And so he's got a little, you know, extra cushion and such as well. Now, I know he said he swear he's capped at $75 an hour for his carpentry work and that's fine. But I would challenge him to price his work not on an hourly basis, but on a project basis because, you know, people don't know how long something really should take or not. Um, and, you know, if he's good at estimating his time and he's good at, at getting it right, then he should be able to say, hey, you know, I'll charge you $400 
to frame the door and finish it off and, and have it primed so that it's ready for painting. And, you know, that might take him three hours, including, you know, a, a, a trip to Home Depot and such. And so if it was that, and he's, but he charges it at the project rate of $400, I mean, he's making significantly more than if he was pricing it per hour. So, you know, I think he needs to get away from the hourly pricing because, okay, fine, yeah, you can, if you're pricing it per hour, but, you know, it's finding the right customers. I mean, right now, the demand for quality contractors and subcontractors is so high. So he can command a higher price. And I'm just going to be honest, he needs to go to the, you know, high end expensive neighborhoods where they want it done now and they're willing to pay a premium to get that work done by a professional carpenter. And so also, I just want to give a shout out to Sean Van Dyke. So he is um, a profit first professional and he is the author of Profit First for Contractors. So definitely if you're in the contracting business or construction business, check out his book. You know, obviously these iterations of Profit First and they are really starting to pump them out by my fellow Profit First professionals. Uh, But there's, you know, Profit First for e-commerce businesses. There's Profit First for dentists. There is Profit First for real estate investors. I mean, it is really growing and it's very exciting. Um, Profit first for micro gyms. Check those out um, and they're all available on Amazon. So if you have a niche, there might just be a special Profit First book out there for you as well. All right. So another question. This one comes from Paul. Hi, Danielle. Hope you and the whole team are having a good week so far. Got a quick question. On episode 42, you referred to your ATS several times. An ATS is an applicant tracking system for using when you recruit and hire people. So an ATS is an applicant tracking system. The one you have used for more than seven years. Do you mind sharing what ATS is this? Uh, We started searching online and OMG, there are hundreds with so many different features and pricing plans. It felt like we fell into a rabbit hole with no end in sight. Hope you can share it with us. Okay, Paul, so the the ATS that we use is called Preview, P-R-E-V-U-E. And um, I will actually do a special um, like kind of demo and show you like under the hood of how we use Preview because um, Preview is a great platform, but in using it in seven years, We've really designed it for us. And I know (laughs) other people who I've shown how we use Preview, you know, they go off and buy it and then they're like, well, they didn't teach us how to use it like you use it. So I will put a date uh, into the show notes here, uh, the visual recap, and we will have a demo for you guys as well. And If you're on our resource list, so you've opted into our resources, uh, we'll also push out an email to you guys so that you can register for that event and see how we sort of automate our recruitment and hiring process on like kind of the back end and and under the hood of the engine that, that drives it so that we are truly recruiting and hiring genuine five-star employees 
And so um, what our applicant tracking system does for us is when someone applies online in that system, and I won't even get into the fact that it posts on multiple sites automatically for no additional charge, but um, what happens is, is when someone applies online, they are um, given some questions, and then if they pass those questions, then they move on to step number two, which is taking um, the preview assessment. And the preview assessment is really cool because we can design benchmarks, so the ideal candidate that we're looking for And then when an applicant takes the test, we bump it up against the benchmark for that particular role that that person is applying for because the benchmarks vary by role. And individuals who score 68% or higher on that um, move into our next phase. And so, you know, we're filtering out the people who, number one, didn't freaking take the test or the assessment, which was clearly stated in the job posting. And then we're also able to, you know, eliminate or filter out the individuals who scored less than 68%. So that gives us, you know, a good segment of potential five-star employees. So typically, um, it depends upon the role, but we're eliminating at least 60% of the applicants who don't even take the test. Um, And then we're eliminating, you know, another 20 or so percent of individuals who take the test but scored less than 68%. And so then that leaves us with the top candidates. Um, It doesn't guarantee that they're five-star candidates, but we've definitely eliminated the one, two, and three-star candidates through the process. And then we take them further um, with a screening interview, then we do some additional skills testing that's specific for the role, Um, and then we do a deep dive interview, and then we have a shadow day where they actually like come in even remote, a shadow day works. Um, and we have lunch with them and we really get to know them and then we make the offer. So anyways, kind of got off track there. I love this subject. Obviously, I think you've heard uh, that Mike and I are collaborating on this topic for his next, next book, All In. So stay tuned for more exciting stuff on that end. Okay, we have uh, another question. And this one is from Desmond. First off, I want to say thank you for doing the podcast. Oh, thanks, Desmond. The podcast is how I mainly get the Profit First information. I'm not a real book reader, so doing this for Profit First is amazing. Also, it'll be nice to have the other books before I'm added into podcast form. Also, thank you for all you do. So uh, there definitely is uh, uh, the Run Your Business Like Clockwork podcast So check that out, and I will pass this on to my fellow McCalliverse partners about, uh, you know, turning it, Get Different, and the Pumpkin Plan into podcasts. So we'll see. I am currently doing well with the allocations, but my question is, when should I do my secondary sweep to my tax and profit hold accounts? I feel like it should be every allocation, but then again, I also feel like it should be quarterly. Can you clarify this for me? Okay, uh, great question, Desmond, especially since you are um, taking this content in without necessarily reading the book. So your secondary sweeps from your tax and profit accounts at your primary bank should go immediately on allocation day to your profit hold and tax hold accounts at your inconvenient bank. So you're going to do your primary allocations at your primary bank from income to your tax and profit account, 
And then after that happens, like almost immediately, you are then going to sweep it to that tax hold and profit hold account at your inconvenient bank. And the reason for this is psychological. And we don't want you to see that money in your primary bank. Because when you go to your primary bank and you go online to see how much you have an OPEX, to see, you know, how much you have to spend, uh, and, and that OPEX, you know, says, oh, you've got $10,000, but you want to make a $12,000 purchase. Well, you kind of peer over and see, wow, I've got like 20000 in that uh, profit account. Maybe I'll just uh, take 2000 from there now, move it to OPEX. And then I'll catch up. I'll, I'll, I'll repay myself on the next allocation, that $2,000 back to the profit account. Nope, that doesn't work. Um, that is why we don't want you to see that money there. We don't want it to be tempting to you. Uh, if it's out of sight, it's out of mind, you're not going to spend it. So that is why with each allocation, you sweep from your profit and tax to your profit hold and tax hold account at your inconvenient bank. All right, another question. This one is from Meredith. I'm starting my photography business back up after putting it on halt to move and have babies. I'm planning to open all the correct accounts and set up with the profit first method. My first question is, how do I go about filling out the planning tables when I have no numbers from previous years to put in? How do I plan my numbers and percentages when I don't have any? As a photography business, my numbers are always different. I offer professional print products and I have a cost of goods there, but sales are always different. My business was always a side hustle before while I worked full time. I took three years off and now I'm starting back up slowly while doing the stay at home mom thing. I plan to build the business as our girls grow and when they need less attention. <laughs> and I want to set it up the right way right off the bat. Thankfully, this is a business to supplement my husband's income and it isn't needed directly for us to eat and live, but I want to treat it the right way and make the most profit possible. All right. Well, Meredith, I mean, how exciting for you to get back into photography so you can share your talents with your clients. Now, we recommend when you have no prior year numbers that you start out of the gate with the target allocation percentages. So if you are a brand new business or like Meredith, you, you know, did this a while back and you've taken a, a, a one, two or more year hiatus, then when you get back into it, you're treating it like you're starting a brand new business. And when you start a brand new business, start it at the target allocation percentages because it's much easier um, if you are in that position to get it good right off the bat like you want. So Meredith, you didn't ask, but I can't help but say that um, I have consulted with a lot of photographers over the years and everyone I've ever worked with was charging below market or average market rates when their talents were worthy of the top of the market. So I challenge you to go out strong on your pricing. Don't think because you've been out of the biz for a few years that you have to start at a lower price point. Again, if you do that, it will be much harder to work your prices up to where they already should have been. So um, you can't serve everyone in the world. There are too many people in this world. So decide who you are going to serve and who can afford your talents properly at the price point, at the high end price point in your market. 
because, you know, this is compensating you for your time away from your family as well, because photographers can work some, um, you know, crazy hours on the weekends. So some people will balk at your higher pricing and that's okay. Those people just don't truly value your talents and time or don't really have the budget. They just want a quote deal. And these people are not your ideal client, but that's okay. They will find someone else to take the pictures on the budget that they want to spend. So, all right, and our last question. This one is from Ariana. First of all, thank you for this podcast. It's truly helped me switch my mindset around finances, and I'm looking forward to implementing Profit First. I have a basic question that I keep coming back to. Why checking accounts for the primary five accounts? Wouldn't it be the same to have one checking account for income and then you distribute it into five different savings accounts? This is a great question and probably one of the most common or frequently asked questions. So honestly, whenever I get it, I answer it. So the reason the other accounts are checking accounts, Ariana, is because the monies get allocated to those accounts and then the money gets, quote, spent. You pay yourself from owner's pay. You pay operating expenses from OPEX. They're not really savings accounts. And the profit and tax accounts just also need to be checking accounts because the money doesn't sit in these accounts at your primary bank. So these core five accounts, that profit account and that tax account, money's there for just a hot second because you sweep that money, as I mentioned earlier here, to your profit hold and tax hold accounts at your inconvenient bank. And you cannot skip this important step. Again, as I talked about earlier, psychologically, you have to not be looking at that money sitting in profit and tax, okay? So that uh, puts a, a wrap on today's episode, episode 100. Again, thank you so much. If you like the podcast and would love to give us a five-star rating, then please visit our website, ProfitFirstNation.com. On the homepage, you can click on Rate This Podcast. And um, it makes it real easy to write a review, a five-star review of the podcast. And that really helps us in the search engines and the charts on the different podcast catchers as to how people can find this podcast and find their way onto the path of permanent profitability. If you would like to work with a certified profit-first bookkeeper, accountant, or coach, you can connect with one at our website, ProfitFirstNation.com under contact. And as always, we have visual recaps for these episodes and you can get that at our website, ProfitFirstNation.com and click on resources. Cheers to another profitable day, my entrepreneurial friends. Profit First Nation website, related podcasts, and resources are provided for general information purposes only and do not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Visitors should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional.